Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, had a great family experience there. And one of the things I remember um, about my father was that he worked in the public education system, and the last years of his life, he worked in uh, this Research Triangle Park um, educational laboratory where they did a bunch of research. He worked really hard, and he would come home every day, and we would always have a dinner around the the dinner table. We would always have a family dinner together, and I know that that's pretty unusual these days, but I think we took it for granted, and he would hang out with us and play with us, so he got up early, he went to work, he'd come home and do that, and I know that he was always exhausted, but I also remember that very often, almost every night, he would sit down in his chair after dinner and he would um, sit there in the den and the rest of us were maybe watching TV or whatever and, and his Bible was sitting there on the table and he would pick it up and he would open it up and just read. He, he wouldn't necessarily read it out loud, he would just read it to himself. And that's one of the lasting memories that I have of my father and it impacted me in some big time ways. And I'll return to that in just a minute. We're in the middle of this series called uh, Jesus Up Close. And the entire series that we are in, this, this two-part series, we did part one back in the fall and, and now we're doing part two, is all about this one question. Th this question that the Apostle John asks, and we've been going through the book of John trying to understand what does it look like to get up close and personal with Jesus? What does it look like to get as close as we can possibly get to him? And John, throughout his gospel, is asking and answering this one question, what is love? Not just romantic love, not just a feeling, not, not love that's here today and gone tomorrow, but what is real Love. That's the question that John has been helping us ask and answer. That's the most important question that there is, as it turns out. His entire goal with the book is to ask and answer that question. What's love? What's real love? And what does it have to do with us? And um, you might even wonder, why, like, why is that an important question for me to ask? What does it have to do with my daily life? John says over and over again that the answer to that question is not a feeling, it's not an idea, it's not just a platitude to live by, the answer lies in Jesus himself. That the ultimate answer to the question, what is love, is actually a person, Jesus. Which, which on the outset, I understand, seems like an easy religious person, Sunday school answer to give until you dig into who he really is and what he really did. That's why we're doing this series, because we don't want to just know more about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And, and the goal is to not just know about God. The goal is to know, to, to know God. And, and so as this series goes on and we get further and further into the book of John, we're digging deeper and deeper and getting closer and closer to answering that question, what is love? And so Jesus knows that his time is drawing short. We're, we're in part two of this series. We've, we're a couple of weeks in and we're in the last week of Jesus' life. We're in the last days of his life. 
now. The, we, we've discovered in the last couple of sessions together that in chapter 13 and 14, the disciples were together with Jesus. They went up into a small room up above somebody's living quarters and they ate their last meal together. And Jesus is there giving him, them his last instructions. He's showing them, he says, um, John, John says, Jesus is going to show them now the full extent of his love for them. And how does he do that? He washes their feet. He, he, he does the most lowly of tasks, and he shares something that we walked through last Sunday uh, with them at the end of chapter 14. Uh, he's saying, hey, um, I've washed your feet. The Holy Spirit is coming. Uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody's going to come to God except through me. And then he basically says, now, um, let's go. And what you need to understand is at the end of, of, of that story, the end of that interaction uh, at, in the upper room with the disciples, Judas had uh, just decided to leave and betray Jesus. And so he, he leaves out the door. And so they're one down. And I think that Jesus is, is kind of um, discouraged in that moment in certain ways. Like he's, he's facing his certain death and he's heading towards it and he's obedient to the father and yet he still struggles with that and we'll see that in the in the weeks to come but then you have this section in the book of John from chapter 15 to 17 where they're walking along at night together and so that whole section those three chapters are Jesus taking the disciples on a walk and they're walking through the temple gardens, the temple courts, and they're heading to Gethsemane. And, and what we're going to discover there in a few weeks is that Jesus is, is going to go to Gethsemane. He's going to pray. He's going to struggle. He's, 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 so, he's feeling things so intensely about what is about to happen that um, he sweats and blood comes out of his forehead. I mean, it's, it's just a sign of, of incredible stress. And he gets arrested there and eventually is led to his death. And so he's walking in that direction with his disciples. And he, he's saying um, everything that he wants to say to them in those last moments. This is the last time they're together. He, we get these words of Jesus to the disciples. And really, it, it is the last time he's got them all together. I uh, coached my kids for a lot of years in rec league basketball. And last year, when my youngest son, Luke, was a senior, we finally won the league championship. It was awesome. And uh, it's, it, this is what it's kind of like. like. Like in the, the last huddle, when that game was close, you, you got to call them together during that timeout and figure out what to tell the team. And there's a million things in the moment that you decide not to tell them. Like, hey, don't dribble the ball out of bounds or just don't do stupid things. Or don't take bad shots. You're trying to think of only the most important things to say. Hey, I want you to run this play. Here's the one thing I want you to remember. So Jesus gets this huddle up, final timeout moment with his guys, and, and he's doing that. And he's like, what do I need to say to them that they have to remember? I could tell them a lot of things, but what do I need to say to them that they have to remember? And I, I tend to think he would want to go with strategy, right? Like with tactics. Hey, here's, here's what I want you to do when I'm gone. Here's, here's where I want you to go. John, you go to Asia, and, and I want you to take my message there. Andrew, you head off to Greece because they need the gospel as well. And Peter, I want you to go to Rome and take this message there. And, and then, by the way, there's going to be this guy named Saul. He's going to try to kill you, but he's going to do amazing things because I'm going um, to just have this interaction with him, and it's going to be incredible. You'll see. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give them instructions. He doesn't warn them about 
about Paul? What does Jesus say in these last words? Like, what can be so important that he has to say it now, walking in the darkness on the way to being arrested? Let's take a look at that, and I think it might surprise you to see what he says. So they're walking along, and and there are these vines that could kind of hang down everywhere off the temple walls and, and around the courts. And, and maybe Jesus looked over at them or even touched one of them. And, and, and he said these words from starting in John 15, chapter one. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see these vines here, Jesus is saying, that's like my relationship with God the Father and, and my relationship with, with you. And there are some, some roles here that I want you to see what they are. There's a vine, okay, and there are branches, and there's a vine dresser, and, that, and that's really somebody who's the pruner, the one who prunes the branches back so that they can bear more fruit. And he's, he's like speaking this to, to a truth about gardening, about horticulture, that in order to see more growth, you often have to first prune back. And, and that's really counterintuitive, at least at first, but it's logical. You have, to, you have to cut off the bad stuff to allow the good stuff to grow. I remember seeing um, my, my mom do that, and she still does that with, with plants around the yard and in the garden, like, like pruning them back so that good things can grow. Remember that for a minute. Jesus, can, Jesus is going somewhere with that, but he goes on and he says this, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear, bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, he says. And, and, and that word abide is this idea of, of live. Live for a long time, like remain in me. Some versions of the Bible say remain in me. The branch can't bear fruit apart from the vine. What happens when a branch is cut off? It withers up and it dies. All of its nutrition, its source of living comes from the vine. It can't create that on its own. It's holy dependent on the vine, a branch is, for, for life. And when you do that, Jesus says, when you stay connected, it leads to a lot of fruit. It leads to a lot of good things. And Jesus in the middle of this is saying, I'm the vine. Like in a spiritual sense, I'm the vine. You're the branches. And it's, and it's incredible to me that Jesus is taking this, this, this very important moment in his time with the disciples, and he's telling them about gardening, he's telling them about vines and branches, but he has a, a real reason for that. And one of the questions he's asking them, and he asks uh, his, his disciples, and I think he's asking this to us, is are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to Jesus? Because that's where all of your spiritual nourishment is gonna come from. You can't do it on your own. You can't read enough self-help books and go to enough conferences and take enough master classes online to make up for the deficit you have in you. you. You can't feed yourself. Your life, your spiritual sustenance, it's all tied up in your connection with, with him. So how's your connection going with the vine? 
And then Jesus gets intense fast. And I think it's because he knows he's running out of time. And so he doesn't hold anything back. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, if you don't live in me, if you don't stay connected to me, you don't remain in me, that person is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you're not connected to Jesus in a real relationship with him, you are disconnected from God. You are cut off. And there's no confusing what happens to a cut off branch. They wither away, they die, and the only good use for them at that point, he says, is to make a fire. That's what you do when you have a bunch of dead wood around your yard or in, your, in, your, in the back. You just throw it in the fire pit. But then he goes on and he says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I mean, we, we live in a world where a lot of people say that they are followers of Jesus. They may just really be fans of Jesus and not followers. A good number of people in the South, where our church is, where we live, if you ask them if they go to church, they'll say, yeah, I go to First Baptist Church of wherever, or I go to Love Lake Norman, or, or whatever. We have these affiliations, and it's nice people feel like to have an answer for those people who are going to ask you because you're going to get asked at some point. But when it comes to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that answer is actually kind of irrelevant where, where you go to church. Finding out where somebody goes to church is not relevant to being able to know if they follow Jesus or not. The question really is this, what does it mean for us to abide in Jesus? What does it look like for someone to, to remain, to live connected to that that, that source of strength and sustenance, Jesus the vine. Well, he gives us a clue. And uh, I'm so glad that he gives us this clue in verse 10. He says, here's what it looks like to abide in me. If you keep my commandments, he says in verse 10, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. All right, so now we're getting somewhere. He's saying, if you want to abide in my love, here's what you need to do. Keep my commandments. That there's more to this than just dwelling on Jesus on the inside, just thinking about him, just, just making my mind and heart focus on him and, and just kind of have this, this squishy sense of faith. And it's all internal. Now, that's important for it to start internally. But what he says is this, a relationship with Jesus develops from obedience to Jesus. A relationship with Jesus develops from obedience to Jesus. This is how you partner with God, obedience. And, and, and we have the capability of partnering with God. It's an incredible thing. He has all the power. He can do everything, yes. But he wants to work through you and work in you and work alongside you. And that is one of the most amazing things that can happen and one of the most incredible feelings that you can have. And in order for that to happen, Jesus says that requires obedience. You, you can miss it if you're not paying attention. And, and I would say this, like invariably when I'm connected, um, I hear things. And this, this might, that might sound weird. I don't mean audibly, but when I'm connected to Jesus the vine, I hear reminders of what he's already said for one. How to pray, how to serve, how to, how to give, how to love. And, and, and then I receive nudges sometimes from him about what he wants me to do or say or what he wants me to stop doing or what he wants me to start doing. I, I get impressions sometimes on, on my heart of people specifically that he wants me to pray for and 
Sometimes I don't even know why, but he, he sort of sparks me to pray for certain people in my life. And, and then sometimes I even get ideas that I would never think of on my own. And, and, and then Jesus goes on and he takes it even a step further. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or your joy may be complete. He says, when you're abiding in me because you're obedient to me, that brings you joy. That brings you joy. And I, I know that in our church, we have a lot of people that listen from a lot of different perspectives and places in life, whether they are committed followers of Jesus and have been there for a long time, or whether they're just kicking the tires of faith, exploring, maybe they're coming in saying, I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe he exists. But here's the truth about everybody. Everyone wants joy in their lives. Everyone needs and wants more joy. And so Jesus gives us an equation. He gives an equation when it comes to this. And this is kind of awesome for those of us who are uh, analytical. He says this, joy, what he, here's what he's saying. Joy equals love plus obedience. Joy equals loving me plus obeying me. That that's going to lead to, to joy, not happiness. I equate happiness with emotion that is reliant on external circumstance, but true joy, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody, because it's on the inside. It's regardless of circumstance, up or down. It doesn't matter because it's not dependent on anyone else but Jesus, and Jesus is always there. And isn't it incredible that he's talking about joy as they're walking in the middle of the night on the way ultimately to the cross, on the way to his arrest, on the way to his persecution, on the way to him being beaten, on the way to a crown of thorns being pressed down upon his head, on the way to him having to carry his own cross up a hill, on the way to him being nailed to that cross and killed for all of us. And he knows that's coming, and yet he's talking about joy. It's one of the, 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 the lies that we tend to believe that you cannot have joy in the midst of pain, that you cannot have joy in the midst of suffering. Jesus is blowing that out of the water and saying, hey, uh, you're going to suffer. He's talking to the disciples. He says it all throughout the last couple of chapters. You're going to suffer. You're going to struggle. This is coming your way, but you can also have joy, that I can bring you joy even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of the trials, even for the disciples in the midst of the persecution they were getting ready to face. He, there, there's this mysterious, beautiful co-mingling of joy with suffering that if you've been there and experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus is offering that to all of his followers. And he even takes it another step further and tells us um, what it means to be obedient. He says in verse 12, this is my commandment, that, that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, if you want to know what I mean when I say be obedient, here's what I'm commanding you to do. Love one another. How are you to love one another? As I have loved you. How have you loved us, Jesus? Well, you washed our feet. You, you took on the lowliest of, of positions, and, and they didn't know this yet, but they would reflect on this later and, and say, oh, he loved us by going to the cross for us. And then he says these, these words that are so heartfelt and personal. He says, greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And he's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm getting ready to lay down my life for you. You're, 
You're my friends, he says, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You're no longer servants, he said. You're, you're my friends, and I'm getting ready to lay down my life for you. And there's so much emotion, and, and uh, it's so heartfelt and so personal in, that, in, in those words. I want you to just feel that and sense the emotion in, in his words. And so I want to encourage you to read the rest of chapter 15 and read chapter 16 as well, because he talks about what this is going to cost them, and this is all along their walk to Gethsemane. And he continues to reiterate, I'm going to give you my joy. I'm going to give you my peace. And I'm the source of it. In fact, at the end of chapter 16, he goes on to say this, these incredible words. He said, I've said all these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but, but, but take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. And maybe today those two words are the words you need to hear. Jesus saying, take heart. Like in the world, you're going to have trouble. You may be going through that right now. You, you very well may, may be facing a trial right now that is overwhelming to you, or, or perhaps you just came through one. Or Certainly, uh, the, the, the truth of life is that you're getting ready to go through one if you haven't or aren't right now. But he's saying in the world, you will have tribulation. Not, not that you maybe might have tribulation, but you will have tribulation. But take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. Take heart. That's a verse that you can remember to help you when you are experiencing difficult things, when, when stuff isn't going your way, when you're, when you're down and almost out. Like, that's the verse. John 16, In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. At the end of the day, it's going to be okay. So they've kept walking, and Jesus keeps pouring his heart out to them, and then that leads him to pour his heart out to, to his heavenly Father. There's just a couple of verses from John 17. He says, I've given them the words you gave to me, heavenly Father, and they have received them. They've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them, Jesus says. I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them, and, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Isn't it interesting that he says, I'm praying for my disciples, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those you've given me. Not that he doesn't want to win the world, he does. That's his whole mission, which is exactly why he prays for his disciples, because plan A to accomplish his mission is the love and unity and the power of his spirit moving and working in the disciples. That's how he's going to win the world, and there's no plan B. Plan A is his followers, and that doesn't just mean his followers back in the book of John. It means you and me, you and me. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for, and Jesus prayed that prayer forward, right? Like he was praying for us as well. I'm praying for them. What does he pray? He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I ask that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I don't ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me, that's us, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's what my dad was doing when he read the Bible every night. He was trying and striving to to abide in Jesus, to remain in him, even though the world was chaotic and he had a million things to do. This is why it's so important that you abide in me. Because you and I are still in the world. His disciples, they, they were going to be in the world, preaching and teaching and reaching people. That's the mission. That's the calling, not to be removed from the world, but to be in it. But while we're in it, to not be of it, to not let it determine everything about us, to know that we're actually in the world, but we're from another place, to be connected to Jesus the vine so that he can give us all we need to survive in this world and to not only survive, but to thrive. And mainly, what we need to do that is peace that goes beyond our circumstances and joy that goes beyond our trials through our love and our obedience to him. Joy equals love plus obedience. So let me ask you a few questions today. Are you connected to the vine? Like, do you know Jesus? That takes a simple yes from you to say yes to him and connect yourself. The second question is this, are you putting yourself in a position to be obedient to him? Are you putting yourself in a position to be obedient to him? That means, that means pausing. That means for some of us taking a walk with him. That means listening to him. And then it means acting. Are you putting yourself in a position to be obedient to him? And then third, are you bearing fruit? Are you seeing a good return on your investment? Are you growing? Are you changing? And, and if the answer is no, like if the honest answer is no, it's okay. But can I challenge you and encourage you to connect to the vine? It's not about trying harder. It's not about being better. It's not about doing more on your own. It's simply about connecting to him and remaining in him. And then we can truly agree with Jesus and say with him, in this world, I'm going to have tribulation. I'm going to have trial, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.